Isn't it great to be able to worship together? Um, Christ alone. We're here because of Jesus alone. So this year, I got to coach Kayla's soccer team and assistant coach Elisa's soccer team. So U10 and U8. And our U10 girls, um, it was a lot of fun, but they weren't very good. Um, now, I don't think any are in here. So, and I don't think Kayla can hear me. But anyway, they, uh, we had some new players, and, and they just weren't, weren't great. And so we tried new things, and we practiced. And they were getting better at ball control, uh, passing, moving down the field. They were getting better at some of these things. But the one thing they just could not do was score. They couldn't score. And so we were playing against the best team. I think they won every game. And we were playing, and we were playing really well. Um, and I was getting a little bit too fired up because they were playing really well. But they would get the ball down, and they'd get in front of the goal, and they'd get there, and it would be like, what do we do now? And they just couldn't get the thing in the goal. Or kids that would be able to kick really hard going down the field, they'd get by the goal and go, bloop. You know, or they'd do like a little push pass. You know what I'm talking about. And they couldn't get it in the goal. And so we started practicing putting the ball on the goal. And that was all we practiced for a while. They'd come early to the game, and we'd practice different ways of kicking this ball in the goal because they needed to know how to get it in the goal. They can do well at anything else, but if they don't score a goal, they can't win. They can't win. And how fun would it be to go to a soccer game where nobody scores? And I mean, I know as you get to the upper level, it's like 1-0. So I mean, how fun is that to watch anyway? Football, you know, like 43, 38, that's fun, you know. <laughs> I'm picking on Jason right now. Um, what about the church? What about the Christian? What does it mean to score a goal? That's why I wanted to point this out. We are a team, the church, followers of Jesus Christ. We are more than a team. We are a family. And we have a goal that we need to get the ball through the goal. What is that goal? And how do we measure that? Because we need to know what that goal is. Otherwise, we're going to be like a soccer team out just passing it to each other. Isn't this fun? And never scoring, and pretty soon the stands are empty because nobody wants to watch that. So what is our goal? I start with this because this kind of leads into our topic for today, church and culture, specifically Halloween. But we need to know what our goal is as the church before we can really discuss much of anything. And so what is our goal? Um, here's here's the, another question that we're going to try and ask and answer today. Um, and this is kind of the point is, what do we do with Halloween? What do we do with Halloween? What does the church do with culture and those things of culture that, that may be uncomfortable or things like that? And we're going to try and answer that. We're going to see what we should do. Um, when I was a kid, I remember there was a period where my parents started talking about, we're not going to do trick-or-treating anymore. I'm like, what? That's, that's the great day. We go door to door and people give us candy and they started talking, well, it's Maybe we shouldn't do it. And finally, they, they landed on, no, we're going to keep doing it, which was great. But there were others in the church that decided, no, it's an evil day. We're going to stay inside. We're going to lock our doors. Or the other thing you can do is have a harvest festival in the church. And everybody comes here and dresses like Jesus. Um, <laughs> and so, so that's the other thing. I think we were talking yesterday, and David Manser, you were either King David or Joseph? Or Moses. Or Moses for the first 10 years of your life. Um, <laughs> So, so that's the other thing we could do, though. We could totally not celebrate it. We could turn it churchy, or we could participate. But what, what should we do? What should we do? And I want to answer that. I want us to be comfortable with the answer. But to know that answer, we have to know our goal and our purpose. And so I'm going to ask this question, and I'm not going to answer it. 
I'm hoping somebody else will answer it because this is the one question every Christian should know the answer to like that. Why does the church exist on earth? Why are we still here? Somebody give me the answer. To make disciples. That's our goal. What does it look like for this to go in the net for the church, for us? Make disciples. That's what it looks like. What's a disciple? Anyone? It's going to be a little more interactive today, and here's why. I wasn't going to preach today. Ben was going to be here um, from our sending church and worked out he couldn't come. And so, oddly enough, all this stuff was already rattling around in my brain and in my heart. And so I'm, I'm actually glad he called in sick or whatever. Um, but I want to answer these questions. So how would you define disciple? I want you to think about that. What, what is a disciple biblically? Somebody who ascribes to a teaching. Yeah. Would you say Nina? A follower of Jesus. Yeah, so here's, here's a, a basic definition. A disciple is one who abandons all to follow Jesus, and I added this, and become like Jesus. A disciple in the first century would, would follow a teacher to become like the teacher. And so a disciple is someone who goes from unsaved to saved, as in now I, I confess Jesus as Lord, and then they become like Jesus. So the goal, how do we know we're scoring a goal? It's when people are coming from unsaved to saved and then becoming like Jesus. And then what do you do in soccer when you score a goal? You pull your shirt over your head and you run around. We should do that when we see, maybe not. Um, <laughs> but, but no, but that's what we want to celebrate when we score a goal. People saved and people becoming like Jesus. So I celebrate when I hear stories in your life, in my own life, and others of, of more submission to Jesus, that's a goal. Because that's discipleship, becoming more like Jesus. Or people coming to faith the, uh, the, it says the heavens rejoice when a sinner is saved, when somebody turns to Jesus. That's the goal. That's what we're shooting for. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who grows cross goes cross-culture to another city, to another nation, representing the leader of their nation. That's an ambassador. They go as a representative. That's what we are. We are ambassadors of Christ. Did you know this is not your home? You're not American. You're an alien. Well, we are American, but, but really, we're, we're aliens here. We are Christians. We are from a heavenly kingdom, and we're going to go back there someday for eternity. Right now, we are sojourning here on earth and here in the U.S., we are aliens. We are ambassadors. And we have come cross-culture. We're going to get into that, but I think that's important. We have come cross-culture. And our job, remember we've talked about this, God's plan A is that we bring the message of him to others. And there is no plan B. Now, yes, God does appear in dreams sometimes. Um, I heard about one just recently. It was in a Muslim country in Turkey, I think, where um, a woman had a dream that her street, it was all black, but there was one light on down the street in the house. And in her dream, she couldn't leave her house. She couldn't get to the light. But in her dream, it was revealed to her, Jesus is the light. You have to get to the light. Now, she didn't get the details. She woke up, and sometime soon after that, God brought a Christian into her path who was able to point how to get to Jesus. But she already knew Jesus was the light. I have to get to him. And so she was ready to hear. So God does things, but then he sent the messenger. God's plan A is he's going to use us bringing his word. 
So that's, that's our, here's our goal, make disciples. Here's, how we, how, here's the game. How we play it is we, we go. Go make disciples, Matthew says. Go make disciples of all nations. We go. We go as ambassadors. If you've noticed, there's no notes today. So if you want to take notes, just write in your Bible. That's okay. Um, but a central aspect to the Christian life is that we are first and foremost cross-cultural missionaries while on earth. We don't often think about it that way. And this, you might be like, what? We are cross-cultural missionaries. That's why we get offended sometimes by our culture. But what do missionaries do? And so I want us to think a little bit differently. Think about actual, we're going to look at actual cross-cultural missionaries that go. What do cross-cultural missionaries do? And I was an intercultural studies major for a, a semester of college. And we took some of these classes. But a cross-cultural missionary learns about the culture, learns the language, and then they enter into it. And they become part of that culture. They attempt to become part of that culture. When I was 16, um, I went to Fiji with Teen Missions. Um, and I remember when we did our training, we had two and a half weeks of boot camp down in Florida, which was awesome. Brendan hated it. He went too. Um, it was great because we had mosquitoes and snakes and alligators. Yeah, we had, all, we had all those things. It was great. Um, but I remember in the training, they were talking about the culture, and they shared a story of a team that went to India. And they're walking down the street, and, you know, a bunch of high schoolers, they're walking down the street, and they're with locals, there's locals there, and one of the boys, there's, somehow there's a calf or a small cow walking down the street toward them, and they walk around, and he does this and steps over it. It caused a scene. In India, cows are sacred. And so to step over a cow like that was, I mean, this big insult. At the same time, he showed the bottom of his foot to the other people. Showing the bottom of your foot in that culture is also an insult. So he's like double insulting the people around him by stepping over this calf and showing them the bottom of his foot. But they use that as a, a lesson for us. Don't offend the culture you're going to. When you go, you know, try and, try and be part of the culture. Get to know it and, and be part of it. If you go to a Muslim country, ladies, you're not going to wear short shorts and tank tops because we're Americans. We get to do that. No, you're probably going to cover up so that you are, are respecting that culture and, and not distancing yourself from it. That's what missionaries do. There's a, a missionary to France. I think it was France. Um, and they went there, Americans with the family. They went there. And the way we normally do life is what? You eat dinner at 5.30, 6 o'clock, go to bed at 8.30, you know, or... 10, whatever it is. But you, you eat, then you go to bed, you get up, you go to school. The culture there was different. Dinner is 9 o'clock, 9.30 at night. Um, and then you go to bed later, and dinner is more of a social time. And so they realized after moving into this culture that they couldn't live the way they had always lived. They had to adjust their lifestyle. And so they started eating when they ate and eating with the people there. Because if they followed their schedule, they wouldn't ever cross paths with the people they were trying to bring Jesus to. So they changed their lifestyle. They changed their eating habits and their sleeping habits to reach the people there. Maybe you've heard of uh, Don and Carol Richardson. Raise your hand if you've heard of Don and Carol Richardson. Wow, okay. You need to read the book Peace Child. Don and Carol Richardson, they went to what, the area of New Guinea, north of Australia, and this was in 1962. And they went to a headhunting, cannibalistic culture, 
tribes in these, these islands. They're, they went to these tribes to try and bring Jesus. Um, and I know this is true. When I actually went to Fiji, which is in the same area, my grandpa, who had been in World War II, said, if you see a black pot, run the other way. He said, we always called those the cannibal islands, and you didn't go there. Because back then, there were still headhunting cannibals. First missionaries that went were actually killed and, and eaten. And so Don and Carol Richardson went to this culture where uh, they hadn't even seen white people. White people were freaky to them. Uh, they, I mean, it was all new. So they went in. They actually brought a young child with them. They had a baby. They went in, and they set up life with these people in this tribe. Now, the, the book Peace Child chronicles the story and shows the culture, and it's just amazing how they, uh, they honor. Here's how you could basically be honored and, and, and receive high status in the culture, is if you befriend somebody and make them feel really comfortable and then kill them and eat them, that's the highest, that's the highest accolade. And so the stories would go of trying to befriend people and make them feel safe and comfortable, and then at night, and so this is the culture they're in. And he tells the story of being there while a battle breaks out. And here's him as a missionary, not even knowing the language very well, and they're shooting at each other with their bows, and he goes in, and he's, you know, what do I do with the culture? You know, I, who am I to try and change all this, but yet it needs to be changed aspects? So... What happens, and the story is amazing, but time goes on, and he's trying to encourage them to make peace with the other tribes. And eventually what happens is they watch it. What, the tribe comes, and they want to make peace. And so what they do is they have to give a baby, one of their children, to the other tribe. And so there's kind of this whole thing going on of who's going to give the baby. And, and there's one man who has three wives and a bunch of kids, and he actually takes his baby, and he starts to go. But before he gets there, he runs back because I can't do it. And what ends up happening is one guy, him and his wife, he has one wife, they have one baby. He went and got his baby. And his wife wasn't even there, actually. She was over on the hustle and bustle. And then she sees her husband walking with their baby. And, of course, she freaks out and tries to run and stop. And he goes to the other tribe, meet, hands his baby over to one of their men. That man goes and grabs his baby, and they, they basically trade it. <laughs> and, of course, the other family members are running and trying to stop it, and they run back. And that's how peace was made. And so they're watching all this, and how crazy is it? But that was actually how the gospel got to that tribe. He said, the peace child, God the Father, the one true God sent his one and only son as a sacrifice for, for us. And so that was kind of their bridge. So this is what missionaries do. They go into a culture, they try not to offend it, and look for opportunities to bring Jesus in. Just like in soccer looking for opportunities to score. Now, one of the problems we had teaching young kids soccer is they need positions. And so as they learn the positions, <laughs> it's very important that a fullback knows that they're defense. If the fullback is up trying to score, nobody's on defense, they get the ball and they score on us. And so it's very important that kids learn positions. But like Brendan, okay, I'm going to pick on Brendan. Brendan's our 17-year-old. He played soccer and... Uh, uh-huh. And he was playing, I think, right fullback or something like that. And he's playing his position. I don't know how old he was. Um, and the team comes down, and he runs up like this, and then he stops. And he watches them go right by and score. We're like, Brennan, what'd you do? He said, I'm the right fullback. I have to stay on this side. <laughs> I'm not allowed to. Coach said, don't cross that line. And so he stopped at that line while they went and scored. <laughs> it's important to learn positions. Hey, no, it's important, but it's more important to win. So, why is it? It's just true. <laughs> you you want to win. So, 
We played a couple years ago, and there was a girl on another team um, who was good. She had learned, they had learned positions, learned how to, and she was playing goalie, and she saw an opportunity where she ran out, and everybody was on the other side, and she just dropped the ball, and she dribbled it all the way down and scored as a goalie. She saw an opening, and she took it. There's the difference. A missionary is one who is looking for opportunities for the gospel, and when they see it, they take it. When they see it, they take the opportunities. That's what missionaries do. That's what these missionaries down to these tribes did, is they took opportunities when they saw them. So how do we act? We're looking at cross-cultural missionaries. We are missionaries in a different culture. It's more difficult. I'll be honest. I think being a missionary in the United States as an American is more difficult than going to Russia or Mexico or somewhere else. It's more difficult because we are part of this culture. We're kind of acclimated to it. And so it's hard. That's why we're doing this today is getting a grip, trying to get a grasp and an honest view of who we are as aliens and how we behave. So turn, please, to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. And we're going to look at how missionaries act. That took a long time to get to the passage, didn't it? But I hope now you're excited to see how Paul tells us to behave how he said that he behaved. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you um, or or in the seat under you, grab that. If you have a phone, pull that out. We're using the ESV version. Uh, But 1 Corinthians 9. Now, the context before our verse, we're going to start in verse 19. But the whole chapter before this, Paul is talking about how he's not getting paid for being a missionary. He's bringing the gospel and he said, I deserve to be paid. He said, Peter, John, all those guys, they all get, they're all getting, they're receiving payment to be pastors, basically, to be elders. They're running the church and they're getting paid, but I don't. He said, I don't get paid. And the reason is he doesn't want anybody to have any claim over him. He's free. So he can go over here, he can go over here, and he makes his money by making tents. And he did that on purpose. And so in verse 19, this is 1 Corinthians 9, 19, Paul says this, for though I am free from all, meaning he's free. He's not indebted to anybody. He's not taking money from them. He's free from all. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So he's making his living. I mean, it's busy being a tent maker. He's doing a business on the side and then he's entering in and he's doing ministry in order to win some to Christ. And he gets into this. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, which is still a Jew, I became as one under the law, though not being, see the parentheses there, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. When Paul was around Jews, he observed Jewish law. He did the ceremonial washings that he needed to do. He ate uh, well-done steak. They weren't allowed to eat steak with, or meat with the blood in it. So he ate well-done steak. He did what the Jews did. Why? To not offend them. What, did he have to follow the law anymore? Absolutely not. Jesus had set him free. But instead, he decided while he was around Jews, he would act like a Jew in order that he could... Sorry, I'm making a lot of noise here with this mic. In order that he could build a relationship with them. And I think that's the big point that, that we want to see under this is the openings that we're looking for to score. The openings we're looking for are mostly relational. 
They're relational opportunities. They're not openings of, I want a sneaky way to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about openings to build relationships, absolutely, to bring Jesus in. But looking for openings. And so Paul did this with the Jews. He did not notice he did not go straight into the unsaved Jewish community and go, hey, you guys don't have to do that anymore. Hey, you know, I'm just going to eat this raw steak. This is delicious in blood run. You know, he didn't do that because it would have been offensive to those he was trying to reach. So he lived like them, although he didn't have to. But I, I want to point this out. Following the law was not sinful. He wasn't doing something sinful to reach them. That's going to come up again in a minute. Now, look on verse 21. To those outside the law, that's Gentile, non-Jewish, to those outside the law, which those in Corinth mostly were, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. In parentheses again, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So what did he do with the Gentiles? Did he behave like a Jew among the Gentiles? He did not. He ate a nice, rare T-bone when he was among the Gentiles. No big deal. He didn't do the ceremonial washings because that would have created some distance between him and that culture. Different culture, he behaved differently in order to not offend them, in order to find opportunities to build relationships for the gospel. But I want you to notice one other thing. Well, a couple things. One thing that Paul would do and that good missionaries do when they enter a culture do they want to change the culture? Yeah. Ultimate goal will be to change those things that don't align with Scripture. So going to cannibalistic headhunters, the goal is that they stop chopping heads off and stop eating people. That's absolutely the goal, but you don't start there. You go and you start by not offending the culture and building relationships. If you walk right in and you offend the culture, you lose your witness. You have no chance. Yet we Christians, sometimes in America, we, we think we're part of this culture. We offend the culture. We offend the culture. We try and change them without bringing them Jesus. Uh, there's a, a student I heard of in one of the schools around here who um, has made attempts to change certain behaviors of people. Um, he's a Christian kid trying to, he'd go to teachers and tattle and try and change the culture of these kids when really... What he's doing is making all these kids go, that kid's a Christian. I don't like Christians. <laughs> I don't like what he should be doing is loving them, helping them get to know Jesus. Then, then the Holy Spirit will change them as needed. But here's the other thing that you notice here, because there's a danger in this. Listen, there's a danger, right? Of the church becoming relevant, of the church capitulating to culture. And churches have done that. Whole denominations have done that. Oh, homosexuality is the new cool thing. We're okay with it too. Um, in fact, we're going to have homosexual pastors and things so that we just, you know, we're like you. And when you, when you do that in any area, you lose your witness because you're no longer distinct. And what they end up having to do in that kind of church, what they have to do is they have to deny scripture. And as soon as you're denying scripture, and not standing on scripture, you're done. You have no influence on the culture. So you're relevant. You may even get a really, really big church, really big church but you're not making a difference for the kingdom. You're not making a difference in lives. So, he, and he mentions this in verse 21. He says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, but listen to this, in parentheses, 
not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So he didn't have to obey the Jewish law, but there still is the law of Christ, right? There are things we're told to do and not do. And so while reaching the Gentiles, he was careful to still be obedient to God in righteousness. Meaning when they went to the brothels, he didn't go with them. <laughs> when they, you know, they had the cult prostitutes, he didn't participate in that stuff. He was dis that was part of their culture. He didn't have anything to do with that because that was sinful. And so he would remain separated in the sinful areas, but whenever possible, he would connect with them. So with the Jews on Sabbath, they would be hanging out. Um, they would only take a few steps in the day and they would hang out and, and do what Jews do on, on the Sabbath. Not much. Hang out. When he was with the Gentiles, he would have a fun flag football game in the park because that's what a Gentile would do on Sunday. He'd find common ground. Does that, that word sound familiar? Common ground? Look at verse 22. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. Um, oddly enough, there is a New Living Translation right here. Just don't ever walk in front of the speakers. Um, we don't normally use the New Living. Um, they take liberties with, with interpretation. But it's very helpful sometimes, I think, to read the New Living. It puts it in words when it doesn't go too far off. It puts it in words we can understand. So I want to read this actually in the New Living. He says this. to find it. Starting in 19, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, even though I am not subject to the law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with Gentiles, who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessing. Right there he says, I find common ground. That's actually where we get the name of Common Ground Carson, the church. It's from that verse in the New Living. We don't normally use the New Living, but that's phrased really well. We find common ground. And that's what we want to be about. Finding common ground as an opportunity to build relationships and bring people to the gospel. Now, there is a fine line sometimes. And there's a tension. When, when missionaries enter a culture and they're trying to find an opening in the culture, there's a tension there of, entering in, but not giving into sin. And it's a tension that's okay to recognize, but we also need to be careful as, as Christians. Now, I have been chided several times in my life by good Christian people for going where non-Christians are. Um, in specific, going to pubs. When, when I would go, you know, foreign countries, go to pubs, uh, I was told by good Christians, Christians don't go to bars and pubs. They don't go to those places. But I did. <laughs> And some of the best conversations I had with people was there at the bar, at the pub. Now, to be obedient to what Paul says, I'm still under the law of Christ. 
And so I would go and have a beer with them, and then I'd switch over to pop or whatever. And then they're asking, well, why aren't you drinking more? Well, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and the Bible says do not be drunk. And so I won't be drunk. And so all of a sudden there's this opportunity where I'm on their turf having a good conversation and showing myself distinct from the sin that they may be being drawn into. Um, I've had it happen here. There's a great beer festival in Carson City. And I was told, don't go to that. Good Christians shouldn't be seen at a place like that. Then I went, and somebody there was like, what are you doing here? I didn't know people like you came here. And then guess what? We had a great conversation. <laughs> we had a great conversation. So there, there is a fine line. Now, if you're going to go and then get drunk with everybody, you just lost your witness. But we need to go where people are and find common ground. When I was in Fiji, I think I saw one of the greatest examples of this. They have a, a drink in Fiji called kava. And it's a root that they would run the water through. And, and their tradition was when you'd come into a new village and we would go and the men would go into a hut and sit around this really ornate bowl full of kava. And they would have coconut shells cut in half and they would scoop it out and pass it around and you'd drink the kava. And so, and there was this kind of cool thing where you sit down and you clap like this. I don't remember what it meant, but there's kind of this ritual. And so we would go and the people of the men would invite us young men in and we would do this ritual. Well, the kava root makes your, your mouth kind of uh, numb. Now, it has no intoxicating effects. It just makes your, your mouth numb. It's just weird. It's kind of a weird feeling in your mouth. And so some of the girls were thinking, well, then that's bad. If it, if it makes your mouth numb, then it must be like alcohol, and you can't be doing it. What? And so we're in there with the men having good conversations around this big bowl of kava, and some of the girls outside are freaking out because we're ruining our witness. But we weren't. We were finding an, an inroad. People are inviting us into their house to sit around and drink this kava. There's a lot of examples there, but I hope you get the picture. When we enter a culture, we don't want to offend the culture, and we look for openings for the gospel. So, with this tension, uh, are we ready to show that video, Tony? Here's a little video on Halloween. Now we're going to transition. Then what do we do with Halloween? Halloween is an evil and horrible holiday, created for evil and horrible people to show off how evil and horrible they are. If you want your kids to worship demons and mingle with the local heathen children on Satan's Christmas, then go ahead and let them trick or treat. Sure, you're meeting neighbors and new people in your community in a friendly context, and your kids get to dress up and create memories that will last a lifetime, but it's evil. Try to find a harvest festival at a local church instead. Sure, the candy's not as good, and the costumes are boring, but at least you're surrounded by the Holy Spirit, and not those horrible and evil people in your community. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. So, if you're offended, raise your hand. No, don't. But this can be offensive. This is not what you probably grew up hearing. This is probably not traditional it's not it's not traditional church there is a fine line now it comes to halloween are we going to dress in a skimpy bumblebee costume and go out in public no we shouldn't do that um especially men um <laughs> halloween it's an opportunity to go egg houses and teepee don't do that it, you know i mean there's there's aspects of it that are sinful that are dangerous and, and we avoid those but there's also aspects about it that are amazing opportunities for relationships. When else is somebody going to knock on your door and go, trick or treat? 
Who, I mean, they're going to knock on your door. It's an opportunity. They expect to talk to you. What an opportunity we have to build relationships. Titus 1.15 says this. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. Here's my point. To the pure, those of us who are following Jesus with right intentions, we can reconcile things to God, even things like Halloween. We can use it in a good way. We can use the opportunity to reach those without being tainted by the evil. <laughs> um, let me give a, a, a couple, um, couple thoughts as we go into Halloween. Don't be the house, please, that hands out dum-dums with a tract taped to it. <laughs> That's lazy evangelism. That's, I don't want to build a relationship with you, but I'm going to get really cheap candy, and while you're going through it, you're going to get saved. How often has that, do you remember being a kid? Those of you who are kids, uh, you remember you get home with your candy and you dump it out and you're like, oh, yay, another Tootsie Roll, you know, but you're going through, or the colored Tootsie Roll, those were the worst. And when you're going through the big pile and you find a tract, what do you do? What else did this come from? We know who we're egging later. It, you know, I, I mean, I didn't do that. I know people that did. Um, don't be that house. Be the house that gives out the best candy. The full-size candy, be that house. Be, yes, you're too old to trick or treat. <laughs> be the house, be the place where you've got cider outside or whatever, something for the, the parents walking by, chilly, warm. Be the house that kids go out and they tell the other kids, you gotta go to that house. And the point is find opportunities for relationship. We're not gonna save people just like that. It, you know, they're not going to be saved because you gave them a dum-dum with a track. They're probably not. They're going to be saved over time as we actually love them. The goal is to make disciples. It's a process of relationships to bring people to Christ. Take the opportunity to build relationships. Look for the hole. Look, you know, look for the opportunity to shoot it in the cor corner of the net. And the goal is discipleship, building relationships. Jesus gave his mission statement in Luke 19.10. He said, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And you see this in Jesus' life. Jesus was chided by the religious leaders because what did he do? He went to the parties. He went to the sinner's house. He went to the place where they were drinking wine and the, the, the tax collectors were there. He went and he hung out with them on their turf. Rather than being condescending and, and aloof. And I've heard this a lot of time, in my, plenty of times in my life of Christians where you talk about Halloween or whatever it is, and they're like, oh, we don't do the scary costumes. And, and if you're one of those, that's okay. Just don't tell everybody. <laughs> or, or those who you talk about Christmas, oh, we don't do Santa Claus. But it and that's okay if you don't do Santa Claus. But to those in this culture, it's just kind of rude and condescending when you're like, oh, we're better than you. You, you're, you still do that Santa Claus thing? We're above that. That's the way it can come across. Now, if you're convicted not to do Santa, by all means, don't do Santa. You know, the whole elf on the shelf thing, that thing creeps me out. Um, but but there's, there's things, and if you're convicted not to do it, don't do it. But don't offend the culture around you that is okay with that. That's the point. Does that make sense? Don't offend the culture around you by, by being aloof. Enter in. And I, I want to finish with this. Why? Why? Now, we're missionaries. We say it right there. You're a missionary. Go make disciples. 
When we sign a covenant, really, we don't have membership here, but we have all-in ministers. If you're going to be an all-in minister, that means you're a missionary. Do you know that? That we're, we're cross-cultural missionaries? Our primary job is to make disciples while we're doing our other jobs, while we're being mom, while we're doing those things. But why? I want to read Philippians 2, 5 through 11. You don't need to turn there. But listen to this. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus was the greatest cross-cultural missionary to ever go. He became like us. He was God. He put on flesh. He came to us in our filthiness. Verse 7, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God was highly exalted, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus came God himself took on flesh. He came to us. He humbled himself, and he was not condescending and aloof. The only people he really got on were the religious leaders. But those in the culture, he did not come condescending and aloof. He came, he entered it, and he loved them. He hung out with the Samaritan woman at the well that nobody would hang out with. Nobody wanted to be seen with her, but he did. He went, and he even wanted to drink after her. I mean, he, was, he went cross-cultural. Because Jesus did it for you. Think about that. If Jesus didn't do it for you, you'd be going to hell. And so would I, where I deserve. But he came to me. He died on the cross because he loved me. That's why I go. It's not a duty. I'm saved. <laughs> you're saved if by faith you've accepted Jesus as Lord. You are now right with God. You are a son or daughter of the king because of Jesus. So what we're talking about going missionaries, it's not to earn anything. It's not. It's a response to what Jesus already did for us. And then we see the pattern of how to do it. Remember, what's our main mission? What's our purpose? To make disciples. A disciple is one who abandons all to follow Jesus and become like Jesus. Do you share the heart of Paul in verse 23? I'm going to read 23 again, 1 Corinthians 9, 23. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. I do all. Paul patterned his life around mission work for the gospel. Do we? Do we? It's more difficult here. I'll admit it. Because we have life and business and work and soccer and all these things. But in all of that, can we first be a missionary looking for opportunities? Looking for opportunities. And are, are we ready? Are we ready? This week, God has really convicted me um, just about this, this whole idea of, you know, churches so often are, are content. Um, and I can end up being content with just doing the game, passing the ball back and forth, and not be about the goal, scoring the goals. And scoring the goals is making disciples. And the Holy Spirit wants to do a work. And he wants to do a work in Carson City. He wants to see goals scored. And he's ready to do it. He just wants people to join him in it. He wants to partner with us but are we ready? Paul has said this several times that 
you know, God is going to send the people to the churches that are ready to help them. And that's true. That's true. Are we ready? In, I think it was 2012, Hope Church, who is one of our partner churches down in Las Vegas, uh, Hope Church in 2012 had just finished their new building. It took them years and years to get a building. Finally, they had this amazing building, um, and they had been in it for three months. Three months when a flood hit. The flood came in, and I mean, the whole church was just full of water, three feet deep of water inside the church. And so for a whole week, they were number one on the news. <laughs> the news stations were there. They were, they were filming, look at all this water. For some reason, wherever they built, right there was where the flood came. And so they, I heard even the president came through town then, and uh, they were still above the president in the news on just the destruction of this flood. And of course, that's frustrating to put all that work and money into a building, and now it gets flooded. Well, guess what happened the next weekend? Over 200 people were saved because they saw the church on the news, and they're like, we got to go check that out. And so they went, and they got saved. Why? They were ready. And it took them time before that. They prepared. They prepared in prayer. They looked for opportunities, and they were ready to meet people where they were at. Are we ready? Because if we're ready, guess what? That, that same thing's going to happen here. There's going to be a revival, not just in Common Ground, in the other churches, the churches that are ready. Are we ready? Think with me. Just dream with me. What if? What if we were all members on this team sold out to the mission of making disciples? What if? What if we really were looking for opportunities? Whatever position you are, a housewife, a business owner, an engineer, but you saw an opportunity for the gospel to build relationships and you took it. Like that goalie who drops the ball down, dribbles down and scores. Do you look for those opportunities? What if we all actually lived that way? Didn't just talk about it. What if we actually lived that way? What would God do? He would do great things, and he wants to. I believe it. Are we going to partner with him? Let me pray, and we're going to close in worship. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you came cross-cultural. You came to meet us where we were at. While we were still sinners, you died for us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. And now we are sons and daughters of the king. We are royalty. <laughs> you look at us, and you see Jesus. And daily you are conforming us into your image. We thank you for that. It's by nothing we have done. I pray that, uh, that we would be missionaries for you. That we would represent you well. And that you would, would stir in us where you would have us play. What position? And let us see the opportunities and take them for you. You get the credit. We are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that you prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. You've already planned them and created them. We just have to walk in them and you get the credit. I pray that that would be the case. Let us take advantage of Halloween this year to meet some people, to build relationships. Holy Spirit, if there's anybody in the room right now that they're sitting here and they say, you know what? I'm not one of those Christians. Maybe they're examining, they're, they're looking into it. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict them today, that today would be the day of salvation that they would say, today is the day that I am willing to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord, the only way to heaven, the only way to salvation, that today would be the day. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If, uh, if you are one of those who maybe you've been coming, uh, maybe you've been in church your whole life, but you realize I don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want that today, I'm gonna be back there in the back. Um, come see me. I'll pray with you. I'll show you in the word how you can be saved. Um, but don't let another day go by without giving your life to Jesus. Now let's close in worship.